You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Uh, We're continuing a series called Correlate. And the big idea has been that how you relate to God affects how you relate to other people. That is, uh, the, the degree to which you have that healthy vertical relationship with God affects your horizontal relationships. That's what we saw in week one. Uh, We also saw that uh, once that relationship is right with God, then that is what allows you to go uh, love your enemy. It is what allows you to then go love a neighbor. It's what allows people of totally radically different backgrounds to come into the big brother house that is church of different people of different ethnicities and different uh, races and different backgrounds and different jobs and somehow get along because the vertical is right, the horizontal flows out from that. And so tonight, as we wrap up this series, we discover from the passage here as we've been traveling through the latter part of Romans that if you correlate with God, if that vertical relationship's right, then you will share your faith with other people. Some call it evangelism, some call it faith sharing, some call it witnessing. Uh, But the broad category is this that if your relationship with God is right, you will be a person that's in mission. Now, I think the average person would say, look, I, I, can, I can handle a religion where you love God and you love other people and there are lots of different people and you love the church and you all get along. That's nice. It's nice. But, but why do you have to take it one step further? Why do you have to share your faith with other people? Why do you have to evangelize? Why all this mission stuff? You say, that, that's what they say, isn't it? They say, Is, isn't that the problem with the world? I, I know you Christians. I've seen you. Well, history shows us you Christians in your imperialistic crusades. We see what happens when you Christians want to go share your faith all around the world. Uh, your faith sharing is oppressive. Your faith sharing is offensive. And if you just kept your religion private, then maybe we'd all just get along, right? So the deal is that you Christians keep your religion and your faith and your God stuff to yourself and we'll reserve our judgments and we'll, there'll be peace. We'll, we'll, we'll be cool. <laughs> deal? And, and I, th- I, think, I, I think if we're real, most of us in the church to some degree, you know, deal. <laughs> we, we, we deal it. We say, look, okay, okay cool. I, I, I can live with that. That sounds... Fair enough. And what, we, what we'll see tonight is that that is totally incongruous with the nature and the message of the gospel. That is that you can't possibly call yourself a Christian and not share your faith. Where do we get that from? I'm glad you asked. Here's something I prepared earlier. It's called the Bible. Oh, I didn't prepare it. God prepared it. But <laughs> I prepared to read it a bit earlier. Uh, we're going to read from Romans chapter 15, verses 17 through to 23. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. This is Paul speaking now. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. 
Brother, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. Uh, the verse that sticks out for me in that passage that I really want to latch on to tonight, uh, Paul says here, verse 20, he says, It has always been my ambition, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was, what, was not known. Now, I'm not going to try and explain what the Greek word means. I can't say the Greek word. It's like philotimatea or something like that. But it's got the word philo in it, which, which gives us a bit of a hint in terms of what he means there by ambition. It means that, that he, it's, it's like a, a love honoring, that, that I love to do this. In other words, in layman's term, he says, I'm passionate. I'm passionate about preaching the gospel where Christ is not known. And that's, how, that's the Paulie that we know, right? That's the sort of guy we know, always intense. Always 110% or always switched on for the gospel. And I don't know about you, but I, I look at characters like Paul in the Bible and, and I think I could never be like that. And we sometimes you see Paul, and what do we say to ourselves? We say, oh, yeah, that's because Paul had the gift of evangelism. And what we'll see from the scriptures tonight and from the general principles of mission is that mission. Evangelism is a subset of mission, but what Paul's talking about is his mission. And that's not a gift. It's a requirement of every single Christian. And so the question for you and I tonight is, how do we get as passionate as Paul in this passage here when it comes to sharing our faith? Here's the first thing that you're going to need. You need to see the need for mission. You know, Paul's, Paul's remark in verse 20 shows us the strong linkage between happiness and joy and a deep sense of mission. Now, what's mission? Mission is when your comfort, uh, mission is when your desires, mission is when your self-interest uh, comes second to the cause, when, when there is something or someone more important to you than your own needs and your own desires and your comforts. That's when you know that you're in mission. And I think that's so important because lots of people are looking for causes all the time. We were chatting about this in Christianity Explained this week. We, we just started a new three-week course in Christianity Explained. And one of the participants there, we're all chatting through, because uh, we're looking at like, the nature of the New York Times uh, bestseller list. If you look at that at the moment, there's a bit of the top 10, for example. Like, here's, here's how you could summarize it. Two books would be Christian because America is just such a Christian country that two of their top 10 books will be Christian books. And then the other four would probably split off into a combination of dieting books and latest dieting crazes. And the other four would split off into this new movement that's going around the world. It's called the happiness movement. I don't know if you guys have seen or, or heard about what's going on there, but it's the happiness movement. So I thought I'd, I'd, I'd look it up. And Action for Happiness, for example, as one of the websites says, is a movement for positive social change. We're bringing together people from all walks of life who want to play a part in creating a happier society for everyone. And the question that came up out of this was that, that ironically, first of all, why are there four happiness books in the first place? Can't we just get one that's got the answer? <laughs> but more importantly, this participant was so on the money when they're saying, if, there, if there's so many happiness books, why are people still so unhappy? An article in The Guardian, a UK newspaper by a clinical psychologist called David Harper, uh, wrote an article called The Sad Truth About the Happiness Movement. 
And he says, this seems harmless. After all, who can be against happiness? Is anyone here against happiness tonight? Oh, you, you Grinch, you. <laughs> but he says the, the approach is based on two flawed assumptions. The first one being that the source of unhappiness lies in people's heads, in how they see the world. And the second one is that the solution lies in the change at an individual level. You see this article saying on one hand, the reason people constantly come away dissatisfied from the happiness movement is that the problem of the world is much bigger than you as an individual. And more importantly, the solution to the problem of the world is much bigger than you as an individual. I call this the, the gospel according to ants. You know the ants movie, A-N-T-Z? Has anyone here seen the ants movie, the animated film? I knew you would, Rob. Thank you. Always, Rob always sees all my great movies. Um, ants is there's this great scene in Ants where, where this ant with the voice of Woody Allen, that classic neurotic New Yorker, uh, style voice is lying on, a, on an ant's version of a psychologist's couch and he's terribly anxious about the world. And he said, you know, I, I, I just can't believe it. I, I, I've always been so anxious as a child. I've, I've suffered from separation anxiety. I mean, it's, it's so tough to be, you know, the middle child of, of five million siblings. Um, and then as he's chatting through and it's, it's going all the way through, he, at, at the end of his session with the psychologist, he says, you know what? I, I just feel so insignificant. And the ant psychologist says, oh, we're finally making progress. He said, why is that? He said, because you realize that you are insignificant. <laughs> and as the camera pans and goes through, it, it wasn't really a camera. It was just a computer animated camera. But you know what it does is the camera goes through and it pans past the window. You go past and you just see these this millions upon millions upon millions of ants in this colony that were going about their daily work. It was finally making progress. The Bible works the same way. Christianity works the same way. The gospel works the same way. Here's why happiness management inside your head doesn't work according to the Bible. Because the Bible says, the Bible gets what Ants is saying, that if you want a life of significance, then you first have to come to grips with your insignificance. That if all of your life is for your needs and your comfort and your desires, if you are the most significant thing in your life, then paradoxically, you eventually find a day when you realize that you've become insignificant. You need something bigger. And the secret to a life of significance is to realize your own insignificance. And that need not be crushing to you tonight. That not, need not dent your self-esteem because if your life is wrapped up in something bigger, a mission that's bigger than your life, then there can be wonder, there can be joy. You know, there, you know what it's like. There is nothing in the world like having something, a mission, something big to risk your life and to throw it all into. You, you know what all the great movies are like, right? Lord of the Rings, Back to the Future, and Labyrinth, and Peter Pan. You, you, guys, you guys know that... That, that there's nothing better than to, to risk it all for something. The last starfighter, for crying out loud. Come on. <laughs> and if you don't know any of those movies, then look. <laughs> I mean, think back to when you were a kid. Yeah, what, what did you want to be when you, you grow, grow up? You know, did you say to yourself, you're there in the backyard saying, when I grow up, I want to be an accountant. <laughs> when I grow up, I, I, I want to have a nice desk job in an open plan office. 
No, you said, oh, I want to be, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be an explorer. I want to be a fireman. I want to be a princess. <laughs> you, 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 know what's, you know what's ironic is that your, your, your vision was never vocational. It was missional. You wanted a big mission. You wanted something big to live for. Friends, there will be no joy. There will be no passion like Paul has. There will be no ambition like we saw on the screens in verse 20. There will be no ambition in your life if you don't have a big mission to begin with. And so I guess that begs a question, well, then what is that big mission? And I'm glad you asked. <laughs> because we see not only the need for mission, but we also see the, the purpose of mission. Now, let me come back to that question that we had in the introduction here. Because I think it's important that we, we answer it in some way, that question, because some of you might be asking it tonight. Why do you Christians have to go share your faith all the time? Why can't you keep your faith to yourself? Why do you have to go showing your faith? Uh, well, my dad always used to say, if you're calm amongst the chaos, then you probably don't understand the gravity of the situation around you. <laughs> and uh, I've got a video clip here. Hey, those, I'm going to put you on the spot, mate, the high Brazil one, if we've got it there. You reckon we, we, we've got it there? All right, let's, uh, let's see how we go. Must be thinking, the day has come, we're all going to go down, etc., etc. But let's get away from the fantasy and look at the fact. We uh, do seem to be going down quite fast, Your Majesty. Not trying to contradict you, of course. <laughs> of course you're not, citizen. But let's stick to the facts. The threat of total destruction has kept the peace here in High Brazil for 1,000 years. So whatever else is happening, you can rest assured, High Brazil is not sinking. May I just make a point in support of what King Arnold's just said? Oh, we, we'd be delighted, wouldn't we? Yes! We should be here. Save yourselves! High Brazil is sinking! Oh, but you don't know our safety precautions. <laughs> it can't happen. But it is! Look! I already appointed the Chancellor as Chairman of our full committee of inquiry, and in the meantime, I suggest we have our sing-song. Good idea. <laughs> Well, I believe it all has to do with what you believe in. And I happen to believe we're totally fine. <laughs> uh, it's a great scene from that great movie called Eric the Viking. And really, that is the heart of the... If you, look, if you, if you come amongst the chaos, then maybe you don't understand the gravity of the situation. See, to be a Christian is to understand that in some ways that story from that clip represents the much bigger picture of the situation the world is in, right? 
That the, that the gospel is not that you need to come, uh, get involved in all sorts of religious practices or turn up to church every week. Or that we're not doing it in order to uh, boost our self-esteem. But at the fundamental core of the gospel is that the world is sinking and that a rescue ship has been sent out to call people onto that in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and that a Christian, and understanding that fact and that reality, calls out to the world around them. And shares their faith. You see, there's two ways that you could read the Bible. One way is to read the Bible and say that it's a nice bunch of, nice treasure chest of gorgeous little sayings that can help you in times of comfort. But the question is, what if we read the Bible the more than just these proverbial comforts? What if we read the Bible as a single coherent plot line that says the world is sinking, that things were good and things were meant to be together in perfect harmony with God, creation? But then something went wrong, something tipped that out of balance, fall. And then yet throughout history, God has been sending his rescue boat into the world, redemption. And that he calls us into fulfilling that rescue plan for the world until the day when he will rule and there will be no more pain and there will be no more suffering and we will live that perfect life again under his rule, consummation. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. You see, what if you read it as the plot line? And when you read the Bible like that, you understand now that to be a Christian is not to pray harder. To be a Christian is not just to turn up to church more. To be a Christian is not just to be a good person or to do more. Rather, to be a Christian is to come to believe that God himself has entered the world in the person of Jesus Christ on a mission to achieve a rescue for us and to bring us back to him into right relationship with him and to send us out to continue to remind others of the gravity of the situation they're in. If you come amongst the chaos, guys, if you and I are calm amongst the chaos, then we haven't, we haven't gotten the bigger picture as Christians. In other words, Jesus says, it would, I always say Jesus was a blues brother, right? Jesus said, you know, I'm, a, I'm on a secret mission from God. I've come back to rescue and to rehab the world and I ask you to join. And when you become a Christian, you move into that mission. That's the mission. His mission becomes your mission. And when you do that, you conform yourself to the pattern of his mission. And when you do that, you say, you know what? I give up my comfort. I give up my desires. I give up my self-interest for the sake of the bigger picture of something beyond me. That's the mission that we have as Christians. Now, can you see now that why that makes us Christians ambitious? Can you see why that makes us passionate? Can you see why it made Paul passionate? And I think for you and I, Paul, Paul had a, a reality of God. Paul had a clarity of God to see that bigger picture that pushed him out into the world around him and, and called people to something. And for something, let me put it another way. If, 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 you had been, if you had been cured from a disease that you see that your friend has contracted, if you saw a friend who was sick with a disease that you've been cured from, what would you do? My guess is that instinctively you, you would reason, you would argue, you would beg, you would plead, you would evangelize, you would share, you would be in mission. And can't you see now to be a Christian is, is to be healed from a sickness that we see so many others have. And as a result, you, you can't correlate to God and not say that you're in mission because God himself is in mission and to correlate to that God is to put yourself in mission. Are you with me? 
the finally we see tonight that that's not just the uh, the purpose of of our mission but we also see the requirement of our mission look at verse 14 here we didn't read from it on the screens but paul says i myself am convinced my brothers and sisters that you yourselves are full of goodness completed knowledge and competent to instruct one another now it's an obscure verse in terms of talking about mission here what's paul saying uh, why have we seen in this progression of the latter part of Romans in Paul, Paul's writings in chapter 11 and 12, 13 and 14 and 15, why have we seen after Paul has been plumbing the depths of theology from chapters 1 to 11 that he says, therefore, in verse 12, and then he starts talking about church. He starts talking about loving your enemy and loving your neighbor and sorting out your differences and the significance of corporate unity. Why would he stress that? I mean, if he was a soapbox evangelist, why would he not go out all around the countryside and just say, share your faith and be done with it? Instead, here he says, you've been competent to instruct one another. In other words, he's saying you're a great community. You're a great church, church. Okay. Why would he do that? Why, why all this stuff about being a good church? And here it is. We've said it before. And that is that the... The, the quality of our community here will be the secret to your mission. The quality of our community will be the secret to your mission. And what do you mean? Uh, look, I, I think sometimes an individualistic approach to mission can be unattractive. You know, I, I've, I had an interesting scenario a couple of weeks back where I was having coffee with someone in Wood and Whisk right across the road and these two girls sit down next to me and and they start chatting away, and as the conversation's going on, I start hearing these different phrases like Leviticus. And whenever I hear the word, hear the word Leviticus, then my ears just prick up because I think, well, um, you don't hear that in every conversation. I thought something must be going on here. And then, then I hear Corinthians and all these different verses. And then I'm watching out of the corner of my eye as, as this girl's chatting to, to this other girl there, and, and, and she's grabbing a Bible like this, and then she's saying, well, what do you think of this verse? And then she goes back and she reads through and she says, well, what do you think of this? And the girl's going, well, I don't, I'm not sure. What do you think of this one? What do you think? And, and with, within me, my, my heart is starting to, to stir. It was like a Holy Spirit fire because I could see how awkward it was for this poor girl next to me. And I didn't know if she was a believer or not. I prayed that she was a believer <laughs> for the way that this conversation was going down. But this individualistic approach to just shoving a verse in this girl's face and this girl's face just had me on fire. <laughs> and I, and I, had, I had to pull them aside and, and, and say, look, hun, you know, the stuff you're talking about, it's, it's, it's weird sometimes and the Bible's complicated sometimes and it's difficult and it's grey and it's nuanced and there's no set answers to all of this and you just got to understand that it's, it's more than just the words on the page, that there's a community of love and of hope and a place where you can wrestle this out, right? <laughs> and we're just across the road, by the way. <laughs> Cross-promotion. Anyway, uh, are you with me? Have you ever experienced Christians like that? Uh, we're we're in, individually, you know, an individual on mission, they can be, let's be real, they can be obnoxious. They can be narrow-minded. They can be opinionated. Individual Christians can be naive. An individual Christian, in terms of this whole Christianity thing, can be unproven. You know, how you, people ask themselves a the question: How do I know this person's just not crazy? How do I know this person's not just a fruit loop? And so, what it means for you tonight is: If I was just to whip you up at the end of this message, if I was to send you out armed, you know, with some of the great 
uh, propulsion mechanisms of many preachers, namely fear and guilt. <laughs> if I was to propel you out and say, you must be on mission, you must do this. If I was to send you out and you just go start doing that by yourself, what's to say that you weren't necessarily going to be just as obnoxious and just as in your face and just as unproven by yourself? You see, I don't know about you, but is, is it really that effective? But here's, here's a question. It's one thing to send you guys out individually, but the other question is to say, what if you could say to your friends, I could show you a community? of incredible differences. You should see what my church looks like. You should see what my connection group looks like. If I could show you a community of, of crazy differences, that there are people turning up here that should not be hanging out together. If I could show you that a community that's, that's showing the world how to love an enemy and love each other and be unified in spite of our differences. Uh, if I could show you a community that's, that's showing the world what it means to live in your career and with money and with sex and with power and show the world how it's really meant to be lived, would you be interested in that? How much easier is it to say that? I mean, wouldn't you like to have a community like that? How do we get a community like that? It starts with you. Verse 18. Verse 18 of this passage. Listen to what Paul says. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God. Here's a clincher. By what I have said and done. And so Paul's model for evangelism is not just what you say, but it's more so what you do. You hear that? It's, 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 he says, what I have said and done, it's not just truth, but it's truth and action. It's truth and love. Paul says effective evangelism, effective mission is not just words, but it's deeds. And I think that you, you guys are the friends that are out there. I reckon the, the common Sydney cider feels exactly the same way. I think that the common Sydney cider, you know, even if you got your friends here tonight, maybe some of you have got your friends here tonight, but if you got your friends here tonight and, and I put on my best sermon for them, like I preached a cracker, I preached a 10 out of 10, I preached a one where like, Sam, if, if it weren't you, you were, you were Jesus tonight. You know, if, if I just, if, the, if it was the perfect one came down there, I still think, and I can feel the inspection and the question in their minds right away. Even if it was the best sermon that I ever preached, they're still going to be asking themselves, look, what I want to really know is, does this Christianity thing really work? I don't think yours and my friends are interested in cool TV spots. I don't think yours and my friends are interested in gospel tracts. I don't think your and my friends are interested in eloquent, well-delivered, well-trained, programmatic gospel presentations. Your friends and my friends, they want to know, you're a Christian, right? Yeah, good. Uh, are you kinder than other people? Does it, does it help you think better? Does it, does it help you with the pressures of life? Are you less snobbish than half of the other people around the North Shore? Yeah, uh, can you face the thought of death? What does that look like for you? Is there poise about you? Is there a gentle greatness about you? They're, they're the sorts of questions my mates instinctively ask. I don't know about yours. You see, uh, they're saying, I'm not interested in sermons. <laughs> I'm interested in living. Everyone's, everyone is. Every, you see, people's lives will be changed by your deeds, not just by your words. 
their brokenness will be healed, not so much by what you say, but by what you do. And so here's a principle. <laughs> an, an individual can argue that Christianity is true, and yet it takes a community to prove that it actually works. You know, friends, I can get up here tonight. I can use all of my Bible college training. I can use all of my trips, tricks in the book. And frankly, that's part of my job. <laughs> that's why I turn up every Sunday to argue that this stuff is true. I believe this stuff is true. I believe that High Brazil is sinking. <laughs> But friends, it's your responsibility, brothers and sisters, to prove that it works. How we love, how we get along. And so can't you see with this funny little series, with its funny little title, how we correlate will be part of the secret of how we reach the world as a church. And so what it means for you and I tonight, are you ambitious like Paul? Are you passionate like Paul in sharing your faith with others who have never heard of God? Your answer to that will be the degree, the degree to which you get the gospel, the degree to which you get the message that God has broken into the world on his own mission is the degree to which you're going to go out and be on that mission and share that with others. The degree to which, I guess in the first place, you've got a big mission. You know, Some of you tonight, some of you tonight in this room haven't got that mission yet. Some of you tonight, if we're real, are wondering why is there no joy? Why is there no vitality? Why isn't there no passion in my life? You know what it is? Because if I'm going to be blunt, it, 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 it could be because you, you've been living for none other than your own interests. You haven't lived for anything bigger than yourself. Think back to when you were a kid. Live, live for something big. More importantly, God gives you that tonight. Are we aligned, church, to God's mission to restore and rehab the world around us? Do we see the big picture of the gospel that high Brazil is sinking more importantly, is it real to us? You know, we could have a whole sermon on evangelism techniques and work through. I think the challenge for you and me, because if we're real, I'll get out of this room tonight too, and I'll struggle to share my faith with my friends. But remember in the Holy Spirit series, we said the job of the Holy Spirit is to take Jesus and to make him real to you. If you're a Christian tonight, we're not sharing our faith. That's probably the first place to start, is to ask God through the Holy Spirit to make that picture real to you to make your heart burn the way that it burned for Paul then Jesus Christ from the from the road to Damascus for 25 years in Paul's ministry was etched on his eyeballs that vision on the road to Damascus the you know when you look at the sun and you get the funny pattern and you can't get rid of it Paul had a Paul had a pattern of Jesus Christ etched on his eyes and so should we we should look to him he should be so bright that he is etched on everything we see in the world but most importantly guys we won't win the world if it's not through our community, our community through relationships, how we correlate, how we love each other, how we work through the tensions of unity as we've seen over the past couple of weeks, how we do life in this big brother house. That's going to be the secret to our mission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for people like Paul. We thank you that Christianity is not just some weird pipe dream, but it was birthed and born through a bunch of people that caught this vision and this mission for who you are, God, a God that has broken into the world. And Father, we're praying tonight that this series is not one that just passes us by as we head towards this crazy season of Christmas. And Father, maybe for some of us, it's been four to five weeks and really we've got to come back to week one. 
that we need to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to you, Lord God, in view of your incredible mercy. Heavenly Father, we just need to be in right relationship with you, and that's all we need to do over these coming weeks and months. Father, I pray for those in this room tonight that need to reestablish that connection with you, for those in this room tonight that feel distant from you, for those in this room who this whole mission stuff and sharing your faith and loving others is just too flipping hard. I need to feel your love and your presence and your beauty and your wonder and your glory that Paul saw again in their life. Holy Spirit, fall upon them now. May they see that in a new and a fresh way. For some of us, as we've come out of a God who has loved and forgiven us, need to do time and recognize that it's because of that where we can love and forgive others. Father, if there is unforgiveness in this place tonight, if there is unforgiveness in this place, Father, I pray over any of our brothers and sisters in this place tonight, Father, we pray that you smash that in the name of Jesus, that this be a place that is unified. There's a place that's not caught up in the petty, but in the glory and the wonder of who you are, Heavenly Father. And a God that has first loved and forgiven each other. And we just pray that we go into this next week and this next season with a totally fresh slate for one another. Father, we also pray tonight that we be a church in mission. We've seen the amazing ways that you've been in mission, whether it be in Madagascar or Hope Street, even bushfires in the way we're trying to reach out. But Father, help us to be a church that's not just missional in what we say, but what we do. Father, I pray for those tonight that don't have a mission. I pray for those tonight that are holding on to causes that just pale into insignificance in compared to the wonderful story that is your gospel. May they come seek, uh, process what it means to follow you through Jesus Christ. So Lord, uh, it is your church. And as we relate to you, help us to relate to each other and the world around us. We just eagerly await what you're going to do over the months, the years to come. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, guys, we come now to a time of communion. That's <laughs> a, uh, a, t- a time of reality for all of us that's a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's that moment when we say commune. Commune means to relate. And so, as I said, there might have been a number of different themes that have come out over these past three, four, five weeks for you guys. Some of you might need to reconnect with God in a new and a fresh way. I know what it's like. Sometimes you can just be spiritually dry, come to the table and eat and drink and be filled again. Some of you are harboring unforgiveness in your hearts. Come to the table, recognize you first receive forgiveness from our loving God. That just washes over to you tonight. And when, when that happens, you can forgive those around you. Uh, But more importantly for some of us tonight, may this, as I always say, be the nuclear fuel rod for our mission, for something greater, for something bigger in your life tonight. May this inspire you and empower you to go out, not in fear or guilt. Don't get me wrong. That's not where it's coming from, right? (laughs) But motivated by love and wonder for what it is that Jesus Christ has done for us. That's why we go. For a desire to heal a world that's suffering under a sickness that we've been cured from. Come. Come rejoice in the healing that you've received tonight in Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ, and you don't know the church, you don't know all this funny stuff has been on, um, friend, if you want a big mission, you want something better than just being a fireman or a princess, uh, hey, come talk to me uh, right now during this ministry time. I've got, I got an adventure for you. God's got an adventure for you that's so much bigger than you can imagine. We'll give you a life of purpose and significance when you, you can accept Jesus Christ by faith tonight. So as we come to communion, eat, drink,
reflect on what it means to correlate.